Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. This is a day when we gather together to sing and to pray. It's a day when we remember the past and look to the future. It's a day when we celebrate liberty and freedom and those who served and died to make it possible. But on this day, we also come before God seeking his presence and his peace. It's a day when we pray for hope in the face of terror. It's a day when we come before God praying with all of our hearts the words of that great hymn, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. May God help us to find the path that leads to peace, and may he open our eyes and the eyes of the nations of this world to find a different path uh, through the disagreements of life. As we worship God today, may we be recommitted to catching a vision of how the world can live together under the Lordship of Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we are yours, life and breath. We belong to you. Thank you for this time today in worship. Make it holy and precious so that all that we say and all that we sing and all that we think and do will give glory and honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Teaching series we've been doing called It's All About Influence, and we're going to be talking again about building strong homes and strong family life and families today come in all shapes and sizes but no matter if you're a single parent a dual parent a foster parent a grandparent a favorite aunt or uncle or just an important person in your kids life or some other kids life each of us plays a part in the lives of the next generation and the goal is to raise up the next generation of children who are committed to jesus christ and the and value the things of god the Apostle Paul gives us some great wisdom along those lines in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we're going to take a look at that in just a bit and how we can help tilt the scales in the right direction by helping the next generation to see Christ in us. Pray with me, will you? Teach us, great God, to delight ourselves in you. We draw near this morning to meditate on your word and to be fed by the one whose commandments and promises are sure. We love you, and we are here in response to your great love for us. So may this time spent in worship today be a time of growth and new understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In one chapter of a book by Richard Strauss on the Christian home, he discusses several goals for Christian parents. And his list is a set of outcomes that we as Christian parents may hope to accomplish in raising our kids with the goal of leading them to make a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ. And here's his list. To build the word of God into our children's lives. To teach them cheerful obedience and respect for authority. To teach them self-discipline. To teach them to accept responsibility to teach them the basic traits of Christian character, such as love, faithfulness, integrity, enthusiasm, patience, and joy. As Christian parents, in some measure, uh, we strive to move our children from dependence to independence, don't we? When our kids are born, they're 100% dependent on us. Everything they need, we must supply, but as they grow, they learn to do more and more by themselves. Slowly, the percentage of dependence drops to 80%, and then 50, and 30, and then 10%. By the time they're ready to leave home, hopefully, uh, they will be ready to live successfully on their own. 
And in a spiritual sense, um, it would be a great goal to have uh, our children move from 100% dependence on us to 100% dependence on God. That perspective explains the various rules and regulations that we as parents put on our children. Uh, when we teach them the meaning of the word no when they're young so that they'll be able to tell uh, themselves no later on in life. Uh, we give them external guidelines uh, as they're young so that years later they would voluntarily choose to follow those guidelines, hopefully on their own. You see, we know especially in the first three years of a child's life that parents play a huge role in what that child will become. God gives us our children for a period of time and what we do with those days and months and years will stay with them for life and ultimately for eternity. The title of this series is It's All About Influence. So what part does our influence play? Godly influence by itself cannot guarantee that our children will know Jesus Christ or follow him. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. But God does, does use parents who are committed to Jesus Christ as the means to help produce offspring who value the things of God. We all know that even faithful Christian parents sometimes end up with ungodly kids and just Think about the story of Esau and Jacob in the book of Genesis as an example. But parents who honor God do make a difference. The Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How many of us as parents would dare to say that to our children? And yet that is precisely what we should be saying. So with that as an introduction, I want to turn our attention this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul uses two figures of speech that help us know what it means to be godly parents. Beginning in verse 11, he says this, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Not long ago, I read an interesting statement about the difference between mothers and fathers, and this article put it this way. It said, mothers tend to worry about their children's safety and security, and fathers tend to focus on their children's successes. A mother frets over things like tender, loving care, while fathers tend to push their children hard because they know we live in a world where failure is easy and success is difficult. I'm not so sure that those characterizations are always true or that gender specific, but it's true that both what a mother and father uh, teach their children is, is vital and the values that we faithfully live out with our kids are absolutely necessary in raising children who will grow up to serve the Lord. Recently, I read a ch uh, church's mission statement and it, it, it said in this, these words, our mission is to be impact people for Jesus Christ in our world. I like the phrase impact people for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, I think, would echo that. That's why he kept moving from city to city, planting churches. That's, why, uh, that's what made him persevere in spite of opposition, indifference, death threats, physical weakness. He wanted to see Christ followers become impact people for Jesus. But being an impact person is not always popular. 
Some of you will remember the tragedy at Columbine High School in April of 1999 in Littleton, Colorado. Immediately after that day, there were many copycat incidents across the country. But here's one that did not make any of the news stories. During a lunch break, a group of high school girls at a Chicago area school were holding hands in a circle and they were praying for a friend of theirs who was in the hospital. And while they were praying, several other students came up to them and said, you can't pray here. That's against the rules. You're the ones we want to kill. Should that surprise us? Chuck Colson pointed out that the Columbine killers clearly included Christians among their targets. These days when we send our kids off to school, we know we can't always guarantee their safety. A lot of crazy things are happening in our world. I'm proud of our middle school and high school teenagers here at Redeemer and elsewhere across this community who aren't ashamed of their faith, who aren't ashamed to go and pray in public in front of the school and take a stand for Christ. St. Paul expands the concept of a parent's influence with three phrases. He said, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Now that word, encourage, means to come alongside someone who is struggling and help them out. It's, it's the idea of a runner, uh, seeing a runner on the track who's beginning to stumble as they round the last turn and head toward the finish line, and you're behind them, and instead of letting them fall and, and, and finishing the race on your own, you slow down, you pick them up, you put your arm around them, and you carry them to the finish line, even if it means that you personally lose the race. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. The Cotton Patch version of the New Testament says the Apostle Paul was constantly sharing his insights. It's an interesting statement, but it reminds me of a little book that you may have read called The One-Minute Manager, which encourages uh, bosses to catch your employees doing something right. And in the book, he, he states that most bosses um, are excellent at finding fault. The truly great ones love to catch their employees doing something right. In much the same way, good parents know how to cheer on their kids to victory and notice when they are doing the right things in life. When I was a child, I heard it over and over again, you're Bob's son, aren't you? That meant something special to me in the town where I grew up. My dad was well respected by those who knew him. And now many years later, I understand that phrase as a child of God. I have an even larger responsibility to live in such a way that I enhance God's reputation in the world. I am a child of God. And when I come to the end of my life, whatever accomplishments in this life that I may have to my credit will not matter nearly as much to me as the influence that I've had in our family that the Lord has given us. And that's what, what, what will ultimately matter. Because you see, kids can't be fooled. What my kids and grandkids say about me will speak volumes about what they've learned from my life. It's not about how much money we can leave them. It's about our influence. It's about the faith that we pass on to the next generation that matters most.
Look at verse 7. As the apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands on you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. I think it's impossible to exaggerate a mother's influence in the lives of her children for good or for evil. In this verse, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of a young mother who's feeding her child. And she knows that this baby cannot eat on its own, can't find food or survive without her. She must not only feed this child, she must give of herself to care for this little one. In verse 8, Paul goes on to describe the extent of a mother's love. And the language he uses here reflects a gentleness and a sensitivity we don't always see in Paul's writings. But he says, we love you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. In other words, a loving, caring, nurturing mother makes an investment in their children. Sometimes I hear talk among parents today about choosing between their children and their careers. And I always struggle with that discussion, maybe because I believe that as a parent, our children are our career and some, someone else can uh, do our job, someone else can win the case or close the deal or teach our class or whatever uh, we do on the job, but there's, uh, it, it is so important that we raise our kids. Parents in God's design are simply irreplaceable And as parents, our greatest contribution will be uh, the children that we raise up for the Lord. Now, please don't mistake that as a statement about working full-time or part-time or in the home or outside the home. Just remember that our children, especially while they're young, are a priority. The world tries to suck us into its mold by making us feel unfulfilled if we choose to be a stay-at-home parent. But being a parent is a high and holy and noble calling, and one of our primary roles as a parent is to pray for our family. I want to tell you a story about a praying grandmother who had the influence on her grandson's life. Her grandson was named Rob, and this story was written by Rob's wife, actually. And she says, I've never known a more dedicated person committed to prayer than Rob's grandmother. When our son Matthew was in the hospital in Virginia, she called every day for weeks, praying over the phone and rebuking all the forces of evil. And I mean rebuking. When grandma prayed, I held the phone a foot from my ear so I wouldn't go deaf. And when I hung up the phone, I was, I was always in kind of a daze, like I had heard directly from God. And any problem appeared quite small and definitely taken care of. It turns out that Grandma lived in a rundown old house and lived off homemade soup, eating only when she thought of it because it took so much time away from her prayer, her Bible reading, and her counseling people on the phone. I don't know if any of you have had that kind of parent, grandparent, or someone who's prayed for you, but on my mother's side of our family uh, was Hannah, my great-grandmother, that I only really remember in my very early years of life, but Hannah was a believer in the power of prayer. And every day she prayed for all of her family, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, the in-laws, all of us by name. And she even prayed for those who would be born in future generations. But more than just asking God to take care of us or bless us, she prayed that many of us would one day find ourselves in full-time Christian ministry and be serving the Lord faithfully uh, with our lives. 
I know that her prayers have had a profound influence on my life. How many of us have had a praying parent or grandparent uh, like that? How many of us have had a praying aunt or an uncle? How many of us have had a praying friend? You see, there are godly mothers and fathers and grandparents and aunts and uncles who have prayed their children all the way to Jesus. And some of you today are praying your children and grandchildren to Jesus at this very moment. The kids just haven't found out about it yet, but they will. And thank God for people of faith because prayer does change the world. Look at verse 13. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. This is what happens when godly parents work together to raise their children. Verse 13 emphasizes the logical result of a mother and father's influence and love. Many people accept Christ as an, at an early age because their parents made it easy for them. As little children, they said to themselves, if mom and dad love Jesus, then I want to love him too. This is precisely what should be happening in Christian homes. Let me tell you the story about John Patton. John Patton was a pioneer missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the Pacific Ocean. He was born on May 24, 1824 in Scotland. His parents were poor, but they were faithful believers. And when John became a young man, he was offered a scholarship to the normal seminary in Glasgow, Scotland. And this is an account of the day that he left home. He said, I started out from my quiet country home on the road to Glasgow, about 40 miles on foot, and then to Glasgow by rail. A small bundle tied up in my handkerchief contained my Bible and all my personal belongings. My father walked with me the first five miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversations on that parting journey are still fresh in my heart, as if it had been just yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever my memory steals me away to, the, to that scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carried his hat in his hand, his long flowing yellow hair stringing down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayer for me, and his tears fell fast. We halted upon reaching the appointed parting place, and he grasped my hand firmly for a moment in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. He never had to say any more. His lips kept moving in silent prayer, and in tears we embraced and then parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when I was about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back, and I saw him still standing with his head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me, and waving in response, I was around the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore for me to carry on further, so I darted to the side of the road, and I wept for a time. And then rising up cautiously, I climbed a hill to see that my dad was still standing there where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him 
uh, he was climbing a nearby hill looking for me. He didn't see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down and set his face toward home, and he began to, ret uh, to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I'm sure, still rising in prayer for me. I watched through blinding tears until his form faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply by the help of God to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother that God had given me. John continues, the appearance of my father as we parted, his advice, his prayers, his tears, the road, the hill he climbed, and seeing him walking away with his head uncovered have often, all through my life, risen vividly before my mind. And so now, while I'm writing this, seems as if it's just been an hour ago. In my earlier years, particularly when I was exposed to many temptations, his parting image rose before me as that of a guardian angel. It is deep gratitude which makes me now testify that the memory of that scene not only helped by God's grace to keep me pure from prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all my studies so that I might not fall short of his hopes and in all my Christian duties that I might faithfully follow his shining example. Not all of us had parents like that. And not all of us have been parents like that to our own children. No one is perfect, even the best mothers and fathers make many mistakes. Without God's grace, we would have no hope for our children or our grandchildren. However, if we can't change the past, we can certainly make a new start for the future. We can resolve today that we will use our influence to point others to Jesus. We can be fathers and mothers who pray to become the right kind of Christian example. And where we have failed, let's confess it and leave it our failures at the foot of the cross. By God's grace, things can be different from this day forward. But more than ever, I am convinced that where parents lead and love, it will not be difficult for our children to follow. We all know that kids have minds of their own. We can't compel our children to believe in Jesus, but by our behavior, we can make it easier for them, or we can make it harder. God, help us to make it easy for them to follow us as we follow Christ. Let's pray. God, grant that in a hundred years, our great-great-great-grandchildren will rise up and give thanks for, God, for our godly example in their life. Thank you for the influence of so many men and women who have brought us to Jesus by their influence. And may the coming generations walk in your path because we have followed your way. And may that road lead us uh, all one day to your eternal kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.